Welcome to The New Beyond, a podcast that invites listeners to learn how to not only think outside the box, but learn how to live outside it. The New Beyond is a place in consciousness that lies beyond ideas of normal and abnormal. It's a place where the new comfort zone has much more to do with your willingness to play big and be uncomfortable while you're learning how to navigate this brave new world. Hello, I'm Dr. Judith Rich, an octogenarian, coach, and author of the best-selling book, Beyond the Box. The new beyond invites us to go farther and deeper than you ever thought you could go. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Each of us can build. Each of us can teach and reach inside. We can guide. And what we leave is up to each of us. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The New Beyond. I'm your host, Judith Rich. And I'm excited for you to meet my special guest today, Katie McManus. Katie coaches ADHD, heart-centered entrepreneurs who need to step out of fear, start, and scale their businesses. Trained in co-active coaching and leadership, she blends her expertise in business, coaching, sales, and marketing to create custom strategies for her clients. She runs multiple communities and is the host of the podcast, The Weenie Cast. I can't wait to hear about this. And she is a devoted dog mom. Katie McManus, welcome to The New Beyond. I have a gazillion questions for you. But I must begin with the weenie cast. <laughs> no. What's the backstory to weenie, the use of the term weenie and how you came to call your podcast the weenie cast? You know, honestly, it's a lesson in be careful what you joke about because that could become your brand. Um, in 2020, I had this one client who was just being driven by fear, like everything that she needed to do for her business. She was holding off on doing, she was just really worried, like didn't want to put herself out there in certain ways. And it was really limiting her. And so I finally like had a come to Jesus moment with her. It's like, you need to stop being a weenie. And she laughed and laughed. And then she went and did the thing. She's like, you were right. Like I stopped being a weenie. And then I was like, oh, that's kind of a funny way to call people out on being like, you know, not brave. So I started, you know, using it more and more. And then I think, honestly, I think I had a couple glasses of wine and I changed my tagline on LinkedIn and it just took off. Like people will com- uh, connect with me just because they think it's funny. Um, I've gotten on sales calls with people who their first sentence is, I need to stop being a weenie. I need to start working with you. And it's just become this, this battle cry of sorts. I mean, this woman from New Zealand reached out to me a couple months ago, never spoken to her in my life. And she told me, you know, I have to tell you two and a half years ago, I started seeing these posts and this woman had this tagline, stop being a weenie. And it was this constant reminder that I had to go and do the thing. And I had to go to do the thing. And I just want you to know, you've never spoken to me, but you helped me start a business. Wow. Right. So like it has power and I didn't mean for it to be my brand, but it is now my brand. 
<laughs> and it, it, honestly, like the the podcast, I I forget what the original title was. It was like business strategy for ADHD. We need ADHD printers, but people started calling it the Weenie Cast. So it is on. It was honestly named by our audience. Okay, so that is yeah. not a podcast. The ADHD Weenie. No, 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 no. It's the same podcast exactly. Oh. The umbrella of the weenie cast. Yes, exactly. The weenie cast was born of that podcast. <laughs> you know, actually, to me, it's a term of endearment. You know, if someone is a weenie, I think they're a sweetheart. So there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a way better way than um than calling people a wimp. You yeah. know. Yes. Yeah. You know, but if you're being a weenie, like you can still be brave. You can still go to th- do the thing. You know. And it helps that like, you know, as part of my branding, I can wear a hot dog costume and do ridiculous things in TikToks. It's so much fun and it makes people laugh. And I'm a firm believer that your brand, if it makes people feel something, you know, it's so much more powerful. And if it helps people feel joy or laughter or just happiness, like even better. You know, that really just uh, points to what you talk about, what you say about people who are ADHD with these creative superpowers. So you've taken something, the weenie, and, you know, sort of serendipitously turned it into a brand and now using it to do TikToks and wear costumes and all of that. How brilliant is that? Absolutely. I love it. I absolutely love it. So let's, let's, you know, I imagine that there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are in my community who are ADHD and who are entrepreneurs. And mm-hmm. so I call them the Beyond Squad. So Beyond Squatters, listen up because this is your girl right here. Um, you were diagnosed yourself with ADHD at age seven. Is that right? I was, yes. Yeah. And before that time, before you, before there was a diagnosis, what was your experience of being a kid with ADHD who didn't know it or have a name for it? Or how was that for you? Yeah, you know, um, it's funny thinking back. My experience was just that a lot of things were boring. You know, it was just that like I, you know, Mr. Rogers, you know, I thought he was super boring. I love him now. I love his message. I love his whole purpose behind his show. But you could not get me to sit down and watch it. I'd rather sit down and watch Seinfeld. Right. Like Seinfeld, like that beat, that fast clip. I got that, even though I didn't get a lot of the jokes. Um, You know, as a kid, I remember being in preschool and there would be story time. And I was like, that's not interesting to me. So I'd be out like building sandcastles in the in the yard while everyone else was sitting around story time. Um, Yeah, I just I always had these crazy, you know, art projects going on. I, I remember when I was eight years old, I made my mom let me buy a wedding dress from Salvation Army <laughs> because I wanted to turn into a princess gown because I was obsessed with Disney princesses, okay. you know? So like, it was just, it kind of just showed up in, in creative ways. Um, but ultimately like the thing that I really struggled with is that I felt like I wasn't smart, right? Okay. Because, you know, if you're not paying attention to half the class, you're not going to learn, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So I was always, you know, having to take these kind of remedial after school classes to help me catch up on reading and this and that and the other thing. And it was just that the way they were teaching wasn't interesting to me. And so my parents ultimately switched me from public school in California to a Waldorf school, which was the best decision. It was the only thing that really um, salvaged my self-esteem at that point, because, you know, I got transferred into this environment where your creativity was used to learn things, you know, your interest in art and in being outside and in history, like it was all incorporated into all these different facets. Like um, fifth grade was all about Greek mythology and Greek history. So our gym class was all about training for the Olympics. Oh, wow. How great. Yeah. Your parents were really dialed in. Yeah. To, uh, you know, to give you that opportunity. That is, that is so cool. So for the listeners who have probably heard of ADHD, maybe they know someone who is, or maybe, maybe there are even people out there who have children that they may suspect are ADHD, but, but it hasn't been scoped out yet get wonky with us for a couple of minutes. And (laughs) how would you define ADHD? So how the DSM-5 describes ADHD is how um, clinicians experience people with ADHD. It's not how ADHD people experience themselves, Mm -hmm. right? So um, the classic example that I like to use is like there are layered tasks, tasks that completely overwhelm us. So I want you to imagine it's Sunday afternoon. You want to do a lot of meal prep for the week. You want to really get organized and eat healthy this week. So you go grocery shopping, you come back, you, you know, get get to the kitchen and you start unloading everything. And then you look at the sink and you're like, oh my God, the sink is full of dirty dishes. So that's one task you have to take care of before you can actually start cooking. So you open the dishwasher you and you realize, oh no, like the dishwasher is full of clean dishes. Now I also have to put away the clean dishes. Then you go over to the counter and you see that there's like an invitation to a party that night. You're like, oh my God, I completely forgot. I have to go and get a gift for the thing. And then on your way to the other, to like figure out where what bottle of wine you're going to take to this party, you notice there's another mess, right? So for you to do one thing, you're going to have to do four other things. For you to have the mental capacity. And at that point, it just becomes overwhelming. You're just describing my life. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's my life too. I know. Um, You know, it's, you, you can't like, I can't tell you how many times I've forgotten something in my car and I leave my house and I go through the front garden and I'm like, oh my God, there's weeds coming up through the bricks. And then 20 minutes later, I'm sitting on the ground weeding. And that was not the plan. I forgot my water bottle in the car and I needed to be back writing emails for my work. And it's just like, well, the weeds just spoke to me. I had to, I had to deal with them right then and there. Totally. Um, Totally. Right. How other people experience this is like, oh my God, you're so easily distracted for us. We're like, no, we're really like, we get things done, (laughs) you know, not in a way that makes sense to anyone else, but for us, it makes sense. So, so, but it, it has something to do with how the brain, uh, functions. Mm -hmm. Does it have another? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And another part of it is essentially like attention deficit disorder is a really bad description of what it actually is. We don't produce dopamine regularly. Like it's not consistent. So dopamine is the chemical that allows for your brain to have that get up and go. Right. So normal people or people who are neurotypical, you know, if they have to go and do laundry, 
and they have like they don't have to worry about it. They just get up and go and do their laundry. Right. For someone with ADHD, if you're having a low dopamine day and you haven't done anything to help you build up dopamine, um, you can sit there and think, God, I have to do laundry and I have to do laundry and you can punish yourself. Like I need to get up and do laundry and not be able to get up. Right. We just don't have enough dopamine to get that get up and go to actually go and do the thing. Now, things that will cause that get up and go is like it's a it's an emergency. You know, like you don't have underwear for tomorrow. That's an emergency. You have to get it done now. Okay, so chemically, it's a dopamine deficiency. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's a bunch of other things as well. Like our brains really do function differently. But at its core, the thing that people have the most trouble with is the dopamine deficiency. You know, I was, we were just chatting a couple of uh, minutes before we started recording this podcast. And I was sharing with you, reading your blog posts and listening to some of your podcast episodes, which listeners do, especially if you're ADHD, especially listen to the weenie cast. But I was sharing with, with you, Katie, that I kind of feel like a first year psychology student who's opened up, you know, abnormal psychology 101 and they're and they're finding themselves on every page. Oh my God, that's me. I've got that. Oh, that's me. I I this is this has been my experience the past two days, catching up on on you and what you're about and reading what you've written about ADHD. And I've I've never been diagnosed with it, but I've always, you know, I've always been the person with the most energy in the room. You know, it's like I'm 81 years old. I started this podcast at 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 age 80. I published a book at 78. I'm still working. I, you know, you talk. I, you talked in one of your um, podcast episodes about working 14 hour days. I have worked 14 hour days uh, all the way. Not every day, obviously. You know, right. not so much anymore. But, you know, in my career, 50 years as a leadership development and transformational coach and trainer, I've been Mm -hmm. in 14 hours a day, go back to my apartment or my hotel room at one o'clock in the morning, and I'm up at eight o'clock. I mean, I I don't sleep very much. I'm not a very big sleeper Mm -hmm. with kind of a. If there's a sleep deficit disorder, uh, I guess they call it insomnia. I definitely have that, but I'm seeing tendencies in myself. So I'm wondering, is it possible to have ADHD tendencies and not be ADHD? I mean, everyone can be distracted. Everyone can have these things. I mean, if if you feel like there are moments where there's something you need to do and you just can't bring yourself to do it. That is the classic you have ADHD moment. And I can't tell you how many women are getting diagnosed now because, I mean, even my diagnosis was really rare when I was seven. I'm 35 now. Um, When I was a kid, the diagnostic criteria really described what happened for boys. Uh And like the only reason like I kind of, you know, threw up flags was because my grades were suffering. And they, they had to have me assessed. Um, but for most women my age and especially older, they weren't diagnosed with ADHD. 
Yeah. Right. And a lot of them are getting diagnosed now. My mom was diagnosed with ADHD when I got diagnosed and she was in her forties at the time. Yeah. So it's really common for women to have slipped through the cracks or it just wasn't something that was a thing when they were, when they were a kid. Now, here's a question that comes up for me. Um, I, I'm kind of struggling with how to, how to craft the question. So I wanted to, I want you to share with us about, you know, the superpowers, the good news, the things Mm -hmm. to celebrate about being ADHD and then what sucks about it. Uh, so great about it. What are the biggest challenges? Let's do that first. And then I want to back into my question. Uh, to you. So someone who is officially diagnosed as ADHD, what is there to celebrate and what sucks about it? Yeah. I mean, we learn really fast. Um, one of the most common complaints for people with ADHD is like when they come across a hobby, that's hard for them. You know, I have a friend who is good at everything that she tries, you know, from flower arranging to sewing to knitting, like she can pick it up like that. Um, And she tried ceramics for the first time and it was hard and she wasn't perfect at it right from go. And that's a really common ADHD thing. Um, We um, also are really good at synthesizing information that seems completely unrelated you know, so problem solving for ADHD is just our natural state of mind. You know, I have a client who's a lawyer and he comes up with these incredibly creative um, solutions to, you know, his client's lawsuits. Because, and I, I am certain it's because he has this creativity that he's able to access because of his ADHD. Um, you know, uh, the other thing about people with ADHD, because, you know, when we walk into a room, we're really like sensing, you know, who are the people here and how do I have to behave to kind of like get by so people don't notice that I'm a little different, right? And we do this without even thinking. But as a result, we're incredibly good at reading a room, right? So if you have ADHD or you you sense that you do, I bet when you stand up on stage, you can sense what emotion is happening in the crowd, you know, you walk into a room where there's tension and you're like, something's wrong here. Who's angry? <laughs> you know, and people will be like, are you a mind reader? Are you psychic? What What's going on here? And you might boil it down to just being incredibly empathetic, but chances are it's because your ADHD has you reading the room at a level that other people have never had to develop. Interesting. Yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm I'm very tuned in and sensitive to energy, you know, mm-hmm. like and and big room good room energy so there is a lot of other kind of superpowers mm-hmm. the creativity like brilliant minds I mean probably I mean probably you know Einstein and some of the most brilliant minds ever have had you know, maybe not diagnosed with ADHD but likely yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So like Michelangelo, if you do any research on his work and his life, his life, um, De- Leonardo da Vinci as well, you'll notice there are periods of time where like they got really sucked into something that was completely different from their career. So Michelangelo, for instance, he took a break from sculpting and painting to be a poet for a while. And this is reflective of our hyperfixations, right? So people with ADHD very often, like we get fixated on a topic or a hobby and we go all in and then we give our all to it. And we, you know, it really becomes our personality. 
And if you look back at history and you see these these artists and these uh, thought leaders and you notice how they have these like kind of weird offshoots in their careers where they go off and do weird things, it's very clear that there is some ADHD happening, right? <laughs> because, you know, poetry, yes, it's another art form, but it's com- like, you know, it's completely random to the type of art that he was well known for and how he actually made money. So, so that's some of the superpowers. Mm-hmm. What are some of the pitfalls? What, 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 what is it? What sucks about being ADHD? Ah, uh, the self-criticism and the criticism of others. I mean, here's the thing. When you don't operate like, like neurotypicals and the world is set up for neurotypicals, it's really easy for other people to slap labels on you like lazy. It's really easy for people to, um, you know, like assume that you're deficient in some way. Uh, I was never interested in science. It was never my my topic. It was never something that I found uh, interesting in, on any level. So I never really got good grades there. And so there's something that happens with your self-esteem when you just can't, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you just can't get yourself to learn something. Yeah. And so for a lot of folks with ADHD, there's this really... Um, low self-esteem where you believe that you're stupid, where you believe that there's something wrong with you and not just that your, your brain operates differently. Therefore you turn into a weenie who doesn't go for things. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's also, you know, another big uh, weakness for people with ADHD is rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria. So we tend to perceive rejection where rejection might not live. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So if you're walking down the hallway at, at work and you wave to a coworker and they don't wave back and you think that they saw you, your brain is going to go on on super drive, making up all these reasons why they hate you now. Uh-huh. Like you must have done something. They're not your friend anymore. They'd never want to speak to you again. So you're Rather, taking, yeah. taking personal or you're making personal something that probably had nothing to do with you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Who are not ADHD also do that? They right? do. They do. Um, you know, the difference is that people with ADHD do it to a dangerous degree sometimes. So this so this kind of backs me into my question. Mm-hmm. When does ADHD become? When does a diagnosis or a label become a crutch? So let's say you know, I can use it as an excuse for not fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. not responsible, where clearly I get to be responsible for not following through, for not keeping my agreements, for, you know, all the things that are part of being human. I mean, everybody, everybody has these kind of issues that they deal with. Uh, And if I have ADHD as a um, in my toolbox, I can, can, I can use it as an excuse. Can I not? I mean, when does it become a crutch and then it doesn't serve me? Well, I think, I think it really depends on the person, you know, anyone can use anything as a crutch. I mean, you're 81, you could use, I'm 81 as a crutch for anything, right? Um, I have blonde hair. Like I could probably find a way for that to be a crutch as well. I think it really depends on the individual. I think, Part of what really hurts the mental health of people with ADHD is this assumption that when we talk about our ADHD and how we operate differently, that we're giving an excuse for acting badly. Mm -hmm. When often we're trying to explain like how this is set up 
isn't actually set up for me to succeed. And we're trying to ask for an accommodation so that we can succeed and still contribute what we need to contribute for what we're responsible for. Um, but we also haven't been given the vocabulary to ask for that. And, and that conversation hasn't been made a norm in our culture where people it like of all different abilities and all different brain types and all different bodies and all different genders and whatever um, are able to ask for, this is how I operate best. How can this system support me so I can show up as my best? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? So is this something that as a coach, you support people to gaining that kind of languaging or gaining those kind of skills to be able to articulate their needs? Oh, a hundred percent. Um, you know, learning how to advocate for yourself is a massive thing when you're starting a business, right? And oftentimes you're also having to get over a lot of that negative self-talk that comes from working in corporate that is set up for a neurotypical where you naming that you have ADHD and things weren't working for you was seen as an excuse for you not doing your job. Yes. Right. Okay. So you do, so are there, you know, aside from somebody working with you or someone like you as a coach, are there opportunities? Are there places? um, I mean, the world out there isn't necessarily a friendly place to anybody, right? Mm -hmm. Let alone, you know, neurotypical, neurodivergent. It's like, you know, it's kind of a doggy dog world out there. And so um, how do you prepare ADHD people to, to operate? Like for you as a coach, you coach entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you coach them on things like being responsible in, you know, with ADHD, you know, as someone with ADHD, I'm also responsible for my business, for the decisions that I make, or the choices that I make, you know, for how I operate. How do you coach somebody to, you know, the both and the responsibility? And well, just because, yeah, just because someone has ADHD doesn't mean they're irresponsible, right? There's, there's a, there's a, there, there are limitations that people run into with ADHD in like how they get things done throughout the day and at what timeline they get things done, but it doesn't mean that they don't hold any responsibility for themselves. Oftentimes people with ADHD hold themselves to actually a way higher standard than other people hold them mm-hmm. that and a higher standard that they can never match up to. So they're always behind that eight ball. I've never had to work with any of my clients who have ADHD to teach them to be more responsible. They are my most responsible clients. And they're the ones that that do the most in their business. Um, where I have to come in and work with them is really helping them understand, you know, like this is the, the the sea of stuff that you have that will overwhelm you and put you into executive dysfunction where you're not able to do anything, right? How do you pick and choose certain items that are must-dos for today that give you that dopamine? Because once we do something, we do get a hit of dopamine that allow you to go and do the next thing and really build that momentum, right? So it's really helping them, A, not punish themselves 
for when they get overwhelmed and when they get into ADHD paralysis and B, how to get out of it themselves, how to really understand here are my must do's every single day for my business. And so long as I have these done, I'm good. And actually, like once I get these done, I'm going to have enough dopamine in my system to go and do more things. But I've honestly, I've never had to coach anyone on who has ADHD on how to be more responsible. It's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've been leading seminars for almost 50 years and people who come in and people who are ne- more, I would say, neurotypical, um, there's probably some uh, neurodiverse people in there as well struggle with responsibility, not in terms of doing things, not in terms of being responsible for what needs to get done, but being responsible, responsible from a place of being like, like I'm responsible for my thoughts. I'm responsible for my choices. Mm-hmm. I Responsibility at right. a more global level, not in terms of the doing part of it, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, again, like someone with ADHD, they are so super aware that they show up differently. Right. So they will actually hold responsibility for things that they actually have no responsibility over. Right. They walk into a room and there's negative energy there. They may take responsibility. Like I cause this negative energy and and not, not as like even think, oh, well, maybe someone had a fight earlier. Maybe there was an argument that I wasn't in on, right? There, there's a sense of responsibility that folks with ADHD take on and they don't tell anyone about it, right? But <laughs> it's, um, yeah, and they're also, we're very aware of where we have shortcomings, right? And, and our biggest fear is that people are going to accuse us of not being responsible. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So, so super hyper responsible. Yeah. To the point where, you know, sometimes like we're so aware, we're, we're so worried about what our impact is that we might actually have bad impact. Yeah. Right. Because we're so concerned on having like this impact on the space around us that we get so focused in on it that we miss stuff that we completely bypass a whole part of a conversation that maybe like we forget like a key part of a project, right? Because we're focused in on having this greater impact. Oh, interesting. Wow. Now, one of the things that you uh, what we do is you're a money mindset. Yeah. This primarily with people with ADHD, neuro with everyone, everyone, everyone needs a money mindset coach. <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that people who are, who uh, with ADHD or who are uh, neurodiverse may have some extra challenges in this area. Yes. Yeah, there's impulsivity that goes along with ADHD that does create some um, some money problems for some types of people. Um, and I say types of people, you know, part of what I do with my money mindset coaching is I help clients go through and, and figure out what their money archetypes are, right? So there are eight classical money archetypes. Um, and depending on what your top three archetypes are, it's basically the combination of the three is your operating system for how you deal with money. So someone who has ADHD, who has like top accumulator typically is not going to have the same, um, money problems as another ADHD client who, whose top, um, archetype is a maverick, right? The maverick is very comfortable with risk. They're willing to like spend money and like figure out how to like make it later. The accumulator is so focused in on 
how much money do I have in my bank account? Is it growing? Is it staying the same? Is it, is it disappearing? Am I spending it? Right. So what? it's very different depending on who, what your operating system is, you know, if you're neurodiverse or neurotypical and also, you know, what is your family history with money? You know, often we're getting our relationship with money from about seven generations back. Right. Cause no one, no family is typically like ex explain how you're supposed to be in relationship with money. It's just something that's handed down without anyone thinking about it. Yeah. You talk about something called poverty. What is it? Poverty pride. Yeah. Yeah. That for our listeners. Yeah. So, I mean, the human spirit can't thrive when it thinks it's downtrodden, right? If we, if we look back at history, any population that if today we're like, oh my God, how did they survive like that? It's because they believed in themselves. They believed that they were there for a higher cause, right? And so my ancestors, you know, some of them came over from Ireland during the potato famine. Um, they had to make it work with no money when they landed in Ellis Island. You know, they had to find housing and they had to find jobs and they had to support all the children because they were Catholic and you know, they didn't believe in family planning. Um, and they had to believe that there was something to be proud about and what they were doing. Right. And so like this, this mindset we have around, um, well, my ancestors made it with like, like very little money and, you know, but they made do and they sent their kids to college and, you know, everyone survived. Yeah. You know, that gets handed down. And so we tend to um, adapt it today as to like, well, money can't come easily to me. Like, if you want money, you have to work really hard for it. You have to suffer for it. And like, you have to justify you earning every single dollar. Because that's in my genetics. Right. Yeah. It's in, it's in your, your, uh, uh, what is it? Yeah. Um, Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, you talk about something called uh, the trauma of money. Mm -hmm. What is that? Yeah. I mean, a lot of us hold tra trauma when it comes to money. Um, there's a lot of research being done right now that shows that trauma can actually alter DNA. And yep. so, right. And so trauma from the mother can actually be passed down to her children and can be passed down to their children. And they're finding it can be passed down up to three generations. Yes. Right. So there's trauma that we can hold when it comes to energetic things like money, like money. Um, I'm trying to remember. So I'm, I'm certified in trauma of money. And there was a whole discussion about, you know, children of parents who experienced a genocide like the Holocaust, you know, where all their belongings were stripped of them. You know, there's trauma that gets passed down from generation to generation. Now that's, that's family stuff, but we also have trauma when it comes to money, you know, in relationships, you know, did your parents use money to control you? Mm -hmm. You know, my mom, I remember my mom and this isn't like a big trauma thing with a big T, but my mom always insisted that if I ever got a tattoo, she wouldn't pay for college. Right. So, but that's a little way, that's a little way that people, um, you know, control other people with money, but like, think about more severe examples of that. Right. Um, you know, how did your parents treat each other with money? Was there any money infidelity in your family? Um, millennials and Gen Zers typically see money infidelity as a far more severe, um, relationship 
like faux pas or a problem than actual infidelity. Now, so money infidelity, what is that? Mm -hmm. So it could be like, I have a secret bank account and my partner doesn't know, or I have credit cards and I'm racking up get, uh, debt, or I have a gambling addiction and I'm not telling anyone about it. Okay. Right. I'm making money decisions that's impacting our household and I'm not telling anyone about it. Okay. Okay. Uh, wow. Um, I think a lot of people probably have that. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, and there, there are a lot of different kinds of money trauma, but you know, it's different for everyone because we've all lived different lives. Right. I personally was in an abusive relationship in my late twenties and, uh, my partner used my money like it was his, you know, and, so I have, a, I had to untangle and do a lot of healing around, you know, how money relates to relationships after that. Right. I, I couldn't have a good relationship with money if I didn't do that work and that healing. Right. My story is not everyone's story though. Other people are messed up around money in, in other glorious ways. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's uncommon that people are messed up around money. Mm-hmm common thing, whether you're, uh, ADHD or, or not you, you, um, somewhere, uh, I, I think I took it from your web. Oh yeah. You said that there are 300 over 350 million adults with ADHD. Mm -hmm. 150 million. That's greater than the population of the U S. Yeah. So the world, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's growing every day. So it's a, is there, is there a, I, I'm not familiar with the research on this on, um, is there a point, let's say in a woman's pregnancy where something gets interrupted in the formation of the brain that it's does actually, it's genetic. It's genetic. It gets passed down. It gets passed down from, you know, I think, uh, if one of the parents has it, then the child has a one in five chance of having ADHD. If both parents have it, then I think it's like a three in five. I can't remember the exact numbers on that, but it gets passed down in families. It's hereditary. Yeah, it's not something it's nothing that goes wrong in vitro. It's nothing that like can be fixed or altered. It's just something that gets passed down through families. Yeah, I'm just I guess I guess what I'm curious about. See, this is maybe my own ADHD brain <clears throat> wanting to drill into that and wondering about the um the biochemistry of the brain. I get that it gets that it's genetic and it gets passed down. But there is something in the brain that doesn't function in the blood brain barrier or something that doesn't function so that dopamine, so that regular amounts of dopamine get. Yeah, I mean, it's the dopamine production that isn't consistent, right? So, you know, it's not necessarily there's something, I mean, you could see it as something wrong with the brain, but it's, you know, we get these massive floods of dopamine where we can do those 14 hour days, those massive floods of dopamine where we can do all these incredible problem solving and learn really fast. Mm -hmm. Right. So we can see it as a problem, 
which some people do, or we can see it as, oh, cool, this brain works differently and it actually works best for these other purposes, right? People with ADHD are not great to have work in your factory. <laughs> like we're not going to stick around. Um, when I was in corporate, I would jump jobs pretty much every year, year and a half, because I would just get bored of the conversations, right? I didn't want to talk. And I was in sales. Like you have to be passionate about what you're talking about. If you're trying to sell people and get, get them to care about what you're selling. Um, but like, I'm, I'm perfectly set up to be an entrepreneur helping other entrepreneurs, right? Because I can hop in and out of different scenarios. I have enough variety. I get to be creative. I get to be a problem solver. Um, it's almost like the ADHD brain is is optimized for different roles that neurotypicals may not be optimized for. Uh, brilliant. I mean, it's absolutely, uh, you know, there's there's a great deal of brilliance. Of, uh, I mean, I, I the people that I know, the family members that mm -hmm. I'm with uh, that are neuro that are neuro atypical, I guess, neurodiverse. Are yeah. brilliant and um, it is definitely a superpower. And as a family member, there's also a lot of frustration. Oh, I'm sure. I know. I know. Yes. There's so much frustration. <laughs> well, the funniest part. So I come from an ADHD family. We all have it. Right. And so, you know, we all have to, like one of the big things with ADHD is like out of sight, out of mind. You know, if I put something away that I need, it no longer exists to me, right? During the pandemic, when I was holed up with my family on Cape Cod, um, my dad would get so frustrated with me because he would be putting stuff in the pantry and like kind of sliding it to the back and I wouldn't see it, right? And so then I would go to the store and I would go and buy the same thing. And we'd end up like with seven of them. But he's like, Katie, we already have this. And I'm like, where? I didn't see it. It wasn't where I left it. You know, <laughs> um, you know, the little messes that we leave, you know, our, our um, ADHD yeah. bowls. Like if you, they're the classic thing when you go into a home with people who have ADHD is there will be containers of just random things that they've collected, Right. But if you have a family of multiple people who have ADHD, then those are everywhere. It's the whole house. <laughs> Listeners, you can't see me, but my face is in my hands right now. <laughs> about the baskets and bowls and drawers yes. that I have in my house that are yep. like I just described, that are just random things. Yeah. But are, here's the thing. You know what's in the bowl. If there's a rubber band in the bowl, you know where it is underneath like the paper clips and the thing with the paper and that like parking ticket you didn't pay that you still have to pay. If anyone goes and messes with that bowl and takes your rubber band, it's going to completely throw you <laughs> because you were counting on having that rubber band there when you need a rubber band. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, so um, you, there is something that, so let's talk about procrastination. Mm-hmm. Is this so this is probably a major challenge for people it's huge yeah it's huge let's talk about that what what's that about i mean yeah i mean procrastination is a combination of doing the thing feels way too involved it's way too big so it could be one of those layered tasks 
you know, where you have to do this before you can do this, before you can do this. And it just feels too big and it can be overwhelming. And that kicks in executive dysfunction. Um, it could also be that you just don't have enough dopamine to get started on it. Sorry, my calendar's bumping. And it could also mean that you just don't have enough dopamine to get started on it. And that will also kick in executive dysfunction. Um, what I find fascinating with myself and with my clients who have ADHD is that it doesn't mean that you don't start working on it in your mind. You in know, so in my mind, so I can tell you every single paper I ever wrote in college, university, whatever we're calling it these days, um, I wrote the night before. I would start at like 10 p.m. And my whole routine was I would I would have little packets of miso soup. That was my snack. I would have green tea um, and I would set up like with a blanket on a couch and I would just bang through all this work and I would write, you know, five, 10, 20 page papers. Right. Doesn't mean I wasn't working on it for the whole six weeks that I'd been assigned. I started oh. working on the idea in my mind from the moment it was assigned I would go to the library, I'd pick up books. I might do a little bit of research and piece things together. The, the ADHD person, like we get compared to neurotypicals who will sit down and actually start working on like a first draft of the paper. Um, and we get called lazy because we're not doing that. But what yeah. we don't get credit for is that we already have a first draft of the paper in our heads. <laughs> We've already like drafted the whole argument, all the um, different points we're going to make. And as we you know, gather more information and, you know, go about our lives, we're going to come up with different ideas as to how we can approach it better. Right. By the time they like ADHD people sit down to write the paper, you've already written it in your head. You just have to get it on paper. Yes. And you have to reference it correctly and you have to do the right format and all that stuff that you were avoiding doing. So we, we sometimes lean into the adrenaline of, oh my God, there's a deadline coming yes. <laughs> a little too much, but we, it's just something that helps us get things done. I find that myself. I absolutely find that I am motivated by deadlines. Um, when I uh, when I was writing my uh, the doctor my dissertation for my PhD, uh, I spent a year not writing. Mm -hmm. I spent one year researching, reading everything I could get my hands on, gathering books and materials. I had stacks of materials all around my house never wrote a word. Mm -hmm. Then I, then when it was time and I did, it was just time I sat down and I wrote nonstop for three months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 16, 18 hours a day. I would write. Yep. And I banged that sucker out in like three months after having spent 12 months seemingly doing nothing but it was what you would call productive procrastination. Exactly. Exactly. Right? That's classic ADHD. Um, I had this colleague when I was working um, a hostess job at a restaurant during college, and she was telling me how she was in this seminar and she had to write this, this research paper and it was 50 pages. And every day she'd sit down for an hour and she'd work on it. And the idea of doing that to me just sounded insane. Like, how? How do you do that? I can't do that. <laughs> you know? I know. I I'm I can I can feel viscerally. I'm having the same response in my body. Oh my God, that sounds awful. No. no. You know, I've never thought of myself as ADHD. And yet the more we're talking and the more I'm listening to you, and the more I'm reading your blog posts and listening to your um listening to your podcast. I'm thinking, hmm, 
maybe I do. I've had a lot of impulsive, uh, you know, money related issues, a lot mm -hmm. of that in my life. Um, I don't know. I, I just, yeah. And here's the thing I'm, I'm curious your take on this. So if I am, so what, you know, it's, it's like I'm 81. So what I, uh, <laughs> it's how I feel. <laughs> I, I I am reluctant to label myself as that. I, I don't want, not that I have shame or mm -hmm. not that I, it, it's, I don't have any judgments around it at all. Um, I have a family member who, who is, but personally for myself, I don't want to attach that label to myself. It feels like a box, you right. know, like it feels like, now I I understand the the superpowers of it. I understand the the upside of it. I I don't want the limiting. I don't want the limitations that I make up that go along with it. So I, I I'm just like maybe yeah. I, who cares? I I think you have a good point. You know, for a long time it carried a lot of stigma, and stigmas stick. Yeah. They're very very sticky. And so I totally understand, you know, resonating with it and being like, but I don't want that label. And that's okay. No, like no yeah. one cares, you know, um, especially people with ADHD, like, you know, we're not like, you have to be labeled. You have to be one of us. <laughs> you know, um, I think, you know, if it matters to you to have a proper diagnosis, go for it. Um, if you feel like, oh my God, well, should I like, do you need it? You know, you can qualify for some accommodations at work, in school, if you have the diagnosis. If that'll help you, sure, go and get diagnosed. Yeah, yeah. But but if it won't have any impact on your life, if you just are solid in the knowledge that, like, I'm self-diagnosed and that's okay, I, it's a big trend in the ADHD community to be very pro, like, if you're self-diagnosed, we get it. You know, because, you know, not everyone has access to health care. And sometimes even if they do, the test is expensive. Okay. So, I mean, it, yeah, don't, don't worry. Like you don't have to be, you know, you can resonate with, um, the tips and the tricks and like all the noticing I mean, I how just it goes. I think of myself as creative and energetic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Brilliant, creative and energetic. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, people wonder, how is it that I have so much energy? Um, you know, I, you know, I can go into a room of 200 people and be the most energetic person in the room. Mm -hmm. usually I'm one of the oldest people in the room. I just think that's the way I'm wired. You know, yeah. May, maybe I, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but you know, it's like, I don't mm -hmm. know. I kind of feel like who cares? It doesn't make yeah. that much big of a difference in my life at this stage to yeah. have a diagnosis, but I certainly relate to a lot of the challenges and the superpowers of it as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But thank God there are people like you in the world that <laughs> you know, for, for, for people, who younger people who are starting a business, who are entrepreneurs, who are dealing with issues of ADHD, who really need a, uh, guidance and somebody to champion them. Right. I would imagine that's a big role that you must play for people. Yes. Championing. Yes. And also giving them permission to find their own way. Right. So like if, 
like if the neurotypical way of doing something doesn't interest you or just doesn't land with you or whatever, you're not going to do it. And when you're starting a business, there's no right or wrong way of doing stuff. There's the right way for you, right? So a lot of what I do with my clients is I help them really discover and create the right way for them to run their business so that they actually enjoy running their business. And it's not something that completely takes over their life and makes them miserable because that's not the point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you help people start businesses or yes, are you mostly, do. you do? I help people start businesses. I also help them scale it. Awesome. What, yeah. what's a typical kind of business that people come with, come to you wanting to start? I mean, they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. So it's funny. A lot of my clients don't actually see themselves as entrepreneurs. You know, they offer usually this high level intellectual service, like coaching, consulting, legal services, copywriting, online marketing. Um, and they just can't figure out, like they learned how to do the thing, but they never learned how to market for themselves or do a sales call or all the, all the business systems that are involved in running a successful business. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm basically my, my trainings and my coaching is a one-stop shop for that stuff. Right. So my, my sweet spot is helping absolute beginners get to their first six figures and then helping those who are making a solid six figures really figure out what their strategy is to scale, mm -hmm. you know, and either scale so that they can take a step back or scale so that they can have a greater impact. Uh-huh. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, so you have a podcast, the weenie cast. Yes. People can find you there. And you have a, uh, you have a blog, you have a, a website, mm -hmm. uh, Kate McManus. Yeah. KatieMcManus.com. KatieMcManus.com. Yep. So people can find you there. Um, I want to, I want to complete this interview with you with a couple of questions. So if you could go back to a time in your life, I don't know, maybe it was, you know, when you were younger and you, maybe you were struggling in school or maybe it was, you were in that abusive relationship or mm -hmm. a time in your life when you struggled with, uh, you know, let's say your ADHD was a factor mm -hmm. and there was a, there were challenges. If you could go back to your, your younger self as who you are today, uh, you know, the woman that you have become through all of the work that you've done and everything you've learned about how to be and be successful. If you could go back to this younger version of yourself with some words of wisdom, some comfort, some reassurance, who, how old are you, know, you and and what what would you say to her? You know, it's funny. I always struggle with this kind of question because I actually wouldn't I wouldn't go back and tell her anything. You know, because I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't gone through this journey exactly how I went through it. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't want to like alter the time space continuum, you know, <laughs> by telling her something that could change the course of my life. You know, I've loved my life, like all, all the, like the peaks and the shadows and everything. And I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't, you know, struggled in all these particular ways. I wouldn't have healed in these incredible ways. Um, if I hadn't been in an abusive relationship or struggled with my ADHD, um, so I wouldn't tell her anything. If I were telling another young person, like a young woman who is seven years old and struggling in school, I would tell her, find things that are interesting about each top topic. You know, if, if like you're struggling to read, but you love princesses, just read princess books. 
Uh, like, don't worry about all the like stupid, you know, reading guides that they're having you do. Just go read princess books, struggle through it, but you'll be interested in it. So you'll be motivated. Okay. You know, boys, okay. if like, if you hate math, but you love Legos, find a way to incorporate Legos into math. Okay. Okay. Awesome. I <laughs> You're the first person who's ever come up with a response like that. I ask every <laughs> single guest and I love it because- I think it's so, it's so, I think, characteristic of perhaps the way somebody with ADHD, somebody who's, you know, neurodiverse would respond to that question. So <laughs> um, thank you. It's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful and brilliant and I love it. And so final question, Katie, mm -hmm. go out into the future a few years, 10 years from now, let's say. Who are you being? What are you doing? And what are you creating? The oh, I have an empire. I have a whole empire. I have I have multiple communities that really support ADHD entrepreneurs at all levels. Um, I have a money mindset program. I've already named it. It's called Wealthy Weenies um, with retreats and experiences all over the world. Um, I have an agency where I have trained other business strategists to support ADHDpreneurs um, at the same way I do. Um, with similar teachings. And I spend a lot of time in the garden and I have ducks that hopefully my dog won't eat. <laughs> <laughs> That's the vision. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's beautiful thank and you. brilliant. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Here thank in you. Indiana, Katie, I've really enjoyed this time with you. Thank you. Same, Judith. Thank you for having me. And thank you listeners for being with us. Until next time, many blessings. Our theme music was written and performed by Ken Ashby and produced by Gopal Metro. My thanks to both of them. And my thanks to you, dear listeners, for being here with us in the new beyond. And if you're willing, I have a little extra credit homework assignment for you please mosey on over to Apple or Spotify and show us some love. I'd be so appreciative if you did. Like some stars or some nice words. Till then, see you next time. Tomorrow is not up to someone else. The hope you have is hope that you can trust. The truth is that the future is up to each of us. Each of us can build of us can teach and reach inside.